0: it's like it hit fifties and I don't know if y'all understand what that does to your soul when you go from nineties to fifties, that's like almost half. I mean, I'm not that kind of doctor, but I think it's almost half.
1: (laughs) I had a, in grad school, I, I had a good friend who was from Oman, uh, and in the UK, she was anytime, anytime I got even remotely chilly She had like the parka, the hat, gloves, Mm -hmm. scarf. And I'm like, dude, it is fifty out.
0: (laughs) I just had to like actually put on jeans and not wear shorts. And I might have to wear shoes with socks at some point as opposed to Birkenstocks. socks. Yeah,
2: it's yeah, after you spend a little bit of time in the south, you get soft.
0: Yeah.
2: So true. I think it's there.
0: It's, you, well, it's all relevance, right? I mean, and where where Joel and I went to grad school together, they would do this thing where it would be like two feet of snow outside, but the music building would be 200 degrees. Yes. So, so you would have to like keep summer clothes in your locker. Right, Always layers. Survive. That's right. Yeah. So you'd wear all these like layers and then you'd take them all off as soon as you enter the music building. Because like, I think the thermostat was controlled in like Michigan or something like that. <laughs> Or something like just really weird that had nothing to do with us so like there's no snow around the music building there's just two feet like without like out of like you get like two yards away from the music building because they don't want <laughs> yeah. it. it just <laughs> whatever <laughs>
1: like so hey
0: welcome welcome everybody to our we got a new season we made it a whole season Woo-hoo. and i am joined now or at least the second half of the season i am joined as always by tony and amy and today we've got our Very, very special guest. The only way I can describe this man. Folks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dust off your dictionary. I want you to open it to the C section. You might even have just a C dictionary if you're old enough. And I want you to go and look under the word charismatic. Once you get there, I want you to stare at that photo. That's who we're talking to today. We're talking to Joel Collier. (laughs) Charismatic. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. (laughs) Charismatic. Oh oh no.
2: (laughs) That's the definition. (laughs) Tony submitting. (laughs) My phone my phone is talking.
1: Charismatic. Charismatic. We gotta know how to say the word too. (laughs) Joel, how's it going?
3: It's going all right. Glad to be here. Uh, definitely appreciate that introduction. It's definitely not what I expected.
2: <laughs> well, uh, hopefully it came out a lot nicer than you expected. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah. I had
3: one of two
0: and I went with the nice one today. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, where
1: is this going? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just hope uh, every time I host that uh, the guests don't expect that sort of an introduction because I can only, I can only do that. I can only hand that up so, so often. Joel, so now you're, you're, so we, a lot of us know you for being in the brass band space and all that sort of a thing, but you're kind of in the academic space nowadays, right?
3: Yeah, um, I am in my first year as a professor of music at Allen University in Columbia, South Carolina. So one semester down and getting up, uh, getting ready to start my next semester and, uh, next week. And how, how are you like in higher ed so far? Same as when we were in school? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It, it feels like this is what I was always really supposed to be doing. I love the actual hands on teaching every day. Um, and the nice thing about where I am now is it's, it's not just one thing. I'm teaching the entire brass studio, but then I'm also directing the jazz ensemble and I'm teaching composition and I'm doing a bunch of different things. So it's really great because I get to do a lot of my different musical interests with the students here. So it's, it's a pretty cool gig for right now.
0: And so I know, you know, it, so when you were up in Kentucky, you founded, what was the name of the group? The Cardinal Brass? Is that, was that, is that correct? Yeah, Cardinal
3: Brass. Yes.
0: And then so are that, you... that group. Go on.
3: Yeah, Cardinal Brass. That, that group was a, a group that I founded with um, some friends of mine, Chris and Christy Schmidt. Um, and uh, that was a good group, although we, we had like one full concert and before COVID. So, uh, you know, we got up to a full brass band and we were going to be at NABA and all that kind of stuff. But then COVID happened, uh, but the group still operated as a sextet for the until I left. Um, so it was still good to make music with some people, even though it had to look a lot different.
0: So were you running the were you doing like arrangements for that? Like, uh, I assume there's not a Are there a ton? I don't know. Is are there a ton of brass sextets hanging around or were you able to like commission stuff or what was that like?
3: Well, I was doing uh, a number of uh, pieces myself, yeah. But then also there's the uh, New York Brass Sextet Journal, which is published by the Salvation Army USA East, basically the New York staff band. So there's a bunch of stuff that they have too, especially because the bigger, biggest performance that we did as a Sextet was Christmas. And there's like two entire journals that they have of all Christmas Sextets. So that was helpful.
1: Also in the, in the Philly area with, tyrone uh bruninger it kind of became a thing to add euphonium to a to a quintet so like when i was at rowan uh we usually did brass sextets instead of brass quintets uh and uh just a just a plug uh we commissioned lucy pankhurst did oroboros uh, a few years ago which is a really cool one for sextet so, you know, go check that out. Okay. I'm done with my plug back. Yeah. To no,
3: there's, there's some good stuff to me. <laughs> and especially all those King arrangements, they come yeah, with that's a, exactly a, what a quote, baritone is. part. Right. So that's really great. It just adds a little depth. It's mostly the tuba part up an octave, but really it adds a lot of depth to what's going on.
2: Yeah. I, I heard that um, those King arrangements, Robert King hated the tuba. So he, so he tried to eliminate as much of the tuba as possible and put it all in baritone. It, and so it's, it is stuff that's up an octave, but it's also not just a tuba part up an octave. There's way more material in there. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know if that's actually true, and I don't even know if I'm remembering that correctly. But you know, it, it would make sense to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now remind me for uh, my lack of education, where exactly is Allen University?
3: Alan is in Columbia, South Carolina. So we are the small game in town. Uh, We are here with the University of South Carolina, Um, but that's been great actually for for me, Uh, made some connections there with uh, um, Ron Davis, who's the tubiophonia professor and JD Shaw, who's the horn professor. So it's been really nice to be here in town um, with some really great uh, musicians that are over at the other university. Um, and in fact, we're actually working on founding a brass band here in Columbia uh, that we're going to try to get off the ground this semester. So that's going to be a, a cool new in, endeavor as well. Great. Hey.
0: Is that going to be like academically associated or is it just going to be like a community group?
3: It's going to be a community group. I think the nature of us being uh, the founding directors being, um, you know, academic professors means that we're going to have a lot of students involved, but uh, it's not going to be officially part of one of the universities or the other. It's going to be a community group. Um, I am starting also a brass band kind of curriculum here at Allen as well, but that's going to take a while to, to turn into a full group. It's probably going to start off life as a 10 piece and may stay that way for a number of years, just based on the number of students that we have.
0: Is there a planned like instrumentation for the ten piece? Because um, I know the ten piece always seems like it's always up in the air as to what exactly like, it's not super standard what is going to be in there or not.
3: Yeah, um, so I'm doing three cornets, two horns, um, two tenor trombones, one euphonium, one baritone, and one tuba. Just it, I think it gives me some of the flexibility to do. Um, it still sounds like a brass band. When you have the two tenor horns and the baritone, that makes it clearly sound different than a, 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 you know, orchestral brass choir um, because that that gives it that that color. Also, it means that I can use um, the American Band Journal, also published out of New York, uh, is written for that instrumentation. Um, So I can, uh, that's minimum instrumentation. It's a flexible series. So they have additional parts as well, but they're optional. So it allows me to use that scoring without having to rework or rewrite stuff.
0: Wasn't that kind of how JMU's band started originally? Like, wasn't it a chamber brass group that just he kept adding pieces to and eventually it became what it became?
3: Yeah, he had a big brass ensemble, though, so it... it, you know, it wasn't maybe quite the size of uh, the full brass band, but it, it certainly wasn't as low as 10 or anything either. He had a he had a large ensemble that he yeah just started changing what music they played and eventually got tenor horns in their hands and stuff like that. So yeah, because we had we had Danielle
0: on really early in our lifetime with this podcast and like she just went and we're making a brass band. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times when we, we talk about like creating a brass band through academia, we kind of think, OK, make brass band. And I think the avenue that you're talking about now, like starting small and maybe eventually we can branch out or do larger or whatever, but establishing that the like kind of culture of a brass ensemble, a chamber brass ensemble, because at the end of the day, that's what the, the brass band is going to be anyway.
3: Yeah. And well, and this university is a smaller university. So we have currently fewer than 700 students in the entire university. Um, and the music department is also fairly small. We have a, you know, 100 person marching band. So we have a number of people that play, but in the uh, actual music department, my brass studio is only 13 people. So, um, you know, we were never going to have a 30 piece brass band from the beginning. But fortunately, the university bought into it literally bought into it. They actually bought us new instruments. So we have cornets and horns and a baritone and Obviously, we already had the trombones and tuba and euphonium, but now we actually have the instruments on campus to be able to do this uh, brass band style ten piece group. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I was very pleased.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, getting a, a brass band started at a university at you a know, music music school, whatever, it's a it's an uphill battle on many fronts and, you know, just getting uh, one course added to our curriculum, you know, could take years. Yeah. So, you know, not only do you have to get all of the academic pro- or the applied professors interested in their students playing horns and cornets on a regular basis, but then you have to decide, you know, choose whether it's going to be more the most likely course is for it to be a small ensemble class rather than a large ensemble class because then you have to deal with large ensemble directors to do that. So it's you know there's a lot of political, you know, ground to be up to be fought on, in order to get a brass band going at a university. It's a tough. Yeah. It's a tough start.
0: Band directors get really uh, anxious when you tell their tuba players they're going to have to play in another ensemble because those whole those whole notes, man, they require. So much time and effort.
3: <laughs> hey, I spent a lot of time playing whole notes in the back of a wind band. <laughs> really uh, uh,
0: in this room, yes. <laughs> 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 well, we'll get a cornet player who's like, well, I played trumpet in the symphony in B flat. I'm like, I'm sure you did. And I'm, that, I'm happy. for I'm glad you had that. <laughs> um, and it also seems like also whenever you're establishing it's such an interesting world of brass band, especially in academics, because like, it's like there's a financial front like Tony was talking about, as well as like the academic front of like getting in on the course catalog. But then you've also got like the like, does your win faculty even know what this thing is? And can you, and right. like, I feel like, I, I, I mean, we talked about, about it with Gavin, you feel like every brass band concert is you have to advocate for what brass band is and its existence in the first place. And though right. it 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 seems light years better from even when I got involved, started getting involved with brass band when I did, you know, it, it's still that same way. We're still fighting those battles. So you know, slowly drip feeding them what brass band is is an outlet, or is like a way to get that involved as with as well. Hmm. Um. So oh, speaking of just while I'm thinking about it, hey Joel, by the way, uh, table brass band's going. Uh, we're we're playing at the University of Florida Brass Festival. Used to be a oh, cool. national brass conference, but now it's just a brass festival. Uh, so we're playing at that. So guess what? We're taking one of your pieces. Any <laughs> idea which it one it we're is. taking?
3: <laughs> uh, I'm gonna guess that it's Endeavor. <laughs> yeah, just a guess.
0: <laughs> so we have we've stolen that and turned that into our flagship fanfare. Just so you know, like we—that's right. what we call it now. So if you want to put that tagline in there, since we perform it every concert, you know, yeah, you know, we we wouldn't mind. Okay. <laughs> Way uh, to hijack
2: the art. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> i was <laughs> what's the what's the black dyke march that they they play every single time uh oh. it's like it's like a town uh, Yeah, i can't even remember Queensbury. Queensbury, yeah i was like oh we were thinking about taking that march and being like and we'll talk about like like you know whit fridays and all this stuff we of course we have to find another one because you just cannot buy that march
3: that is yeah. that is their. more have a couple pieces. They have a couple pieces like that. I know Paul Leva Cooper Cooper's Immortals is another piece that you cannot get. It is only for them to use. Um, but the
0: the interesting thing with Endeavor and just like kind of how that worked out was that was originally with a composition competition, right? For
3: like Cory band was, think, that was for the like Cory band competition in like 2019
0: and do you do you
3: submit pieces for competitions on a regular basis um so that was actually i've I've done a few um the new york staff band did a composer competition a number of years um and i uh they've done it for three years they used to do it like decades ago but they brought it back recently. So they did it for three years so far. Um, in the first year I was the runner up the second year I won it. And then the third year I was the runner up as well. Um, so that was really cool. That was getting some recognition and getting some new music out there because they had specific requirements of what the pieces could be. So I had to write to their prompt, which actually led to some really cool things that I wouldn't have necessarily uh, written otherwise. Um, and then uh, I did, I the only other one that I entered was that Corey competition. Um, and I didn't win that. I wasn't a finalist for that, but I got some really good uh, feedback from um, Philip Harper. So that was helpful. Um, yeah, it was great. I, you know, he was really willing to give me some comments on what he thought of the piece and what might improve it or things like that. So that was helpful. Um, but actually right now I'm, I either have pieces submitted or will be submitted pieces for three uh, competitions. So that's definitely different for me. Um, the US Naval Academy uh, band they had a call for scores for their brass and percussion ensemble. Um, and that, that is the one that's already submitted. And I'll hear about those results in February, but then also coming up, um, River City Brass Band, has a composition contest uh, that I'll be entering. And Corey also has their their competition contest again. So I'll be submitting another piece for that. So those two pieces are are works in progress. I'm gonna keep them kind of under my hat for now. Um, But they're also really cool, especially the River City one, because they, you know, their their concert style is a little bit different than the traditional brass band. Um, And so, even just in their percussion requirements where drum set is one of the required percussion instruments uh, already tells you that this is going to be writing a different style than maybe necessarily I would for the, the Corey competition.
0: And you did, you, you I also, I just know because I competed, I like you and I did Falcone recordings at the same time. Like we used the same accompanist, you went and yes. then I went kind of a thing. Like yes. So I know you also did, um, you know, performance competitions. Um, yeah and so would you mind speaking a little bit to like is there a huge difference in the mentality of going towards those things like finding them or like what what is because like I feel like with the performance ones it's kind of like you know you find out about it you look at the literature you get good you perform you may or may not win and that's kind of where we're going with that that's kind of where it's at but I feel like With this, it's so much more, with with composition stuff, there's a lot more planning involved. Um, Are you writing towards the judges? Are you writing towards their curriculum? Are you just writing, you're trying to write the
3: best piece that you've got? How how does it differ? Yeah, uh, well, each competition is different um, because they have different expectations. The only one that's really open, like completely open, is that Corey competition, at least that I'm entering. Is that Corey competition? all they give you is a duration. It has, has to be under X minutes. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but they give you a duration and that's it. So you can just write whatever you want for a brass band that's under that duration. So that's cool. Um, but the others are a bit different. They, they tell you what they're looking for. So the, like the Naval Academy, they're telling you that, you know, they're looking for pieces that are in some way celebrating America um, or things like that. So then that has to kind of, Change your focus a little bit. You're like, okay, how do I represent this? What do I have to do here? Um, So for that one, what I did was uh, the piece is called the Act of Dedication, um, and it's uh, celebrating the uh, 150th anniversary of Yellowstone National Park. Um, So it's you know that that kind of puts an image in your mind, and I start working towards that. How do I represent this place that I've only been to once in my life? Um, But makes an indelible mark. So how do I represent that in music for this for this scoring? They gave you a set scoring as well. Well, they gave you a set number of players. They do allow you to flex some things like rather than use four trumpets, you could use, you know, flugelhorns horns or whatever, which I made like a mini brass band with their scoring that they gave me. Uh, gives me some more color choices. But yeah, so that's what happens is, yeah, it takes a lot of planning, a, a lot of forethought. You can't just enter change one piece for one competition and another. So if you're entering multiple, you're writing multiple pieces. In fact, a number of them stipulate that you can't use a piece that has already been performed or recorded. So you would run a real risk of breaking the rules if you enter the same piece in two competitions and it manages to win the first one. Well, then that means it's then violating the rules for the second because it will have been performed. So... It's a lot of planning and a lot of spreadsheets and figuring all that out.
0: There's like legality to that too, right? Because a lot of times when you're doing like a submission for scores, aren't you like essentially waiving your rights to the pieces to like publish and all that sort of
3: thing for a lot of them, not all of them, but. Not all of them. And actually, none of these that I'm submitting say anything to that effect. Um, So uh, I would still be able to publish. And and that's the other nice thing. This is where it is different from a performance competition. Win or lose, the piece is going to have a life beyond the competition. So um, Endeavor is a perfect example of that. I wasn't even a finalist for the Corey competition, but that piece gets played and it is received well when it gets played. So it has a life beyond just that competition.
0: Yeah, I think my band's played it now eight times (laughs) since (laughs) since you gave it to us.
3: Um, And we play it at everything we do. So that means your band has played it approximately, I don't know, 50% of the times it's been played. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so so the whole reason I, I, I wanted to
0: bring up the competitions is because Joel won our intro competition that we put out there a little while ago. Oh, I've got to make sure I change the thing. But yeah, Joel, Joel won the day. fanfare. Um, you may or may not have heard new intro music on this episode. If you haven't, you will soon. If you did, that's the piece. <laughs> 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 just, just with when we wanted to use this and the way that bands were coming, we're, as, as of recording, we're coming out of a winter break, so. No one's been rehearsing regularly yet this year, I don't think. Um, I think my band starts up next week. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. so so it, so if you, once you hear a new thing and obviously we'll let you we'll let you know. But yeah, congratulations, Joel,
3: on that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and that was another one, you know, talking about writing to the prompt. Um, obviously, you just stipulated you know 30 seconds of music, but in my mind, I was thinking, okay, New World Brass cast is like I need this to be something that's gonna sound in my mind again. I wanted it to sound American. I wanted it to kind of speak to this whole New World thing. So uh, started putting my I, I'm a big fan of uh, Copeland's representation of America, but I never actually want to just rip off Copeland. I never want to I don't I want, want people to hear you my want piece to be like and John think Williams. Yeah. I don't want people to hear my piece and think that it is Copeland. I just want people to hear that piece and get that kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So 30 seconds, it's actually surprisingly difficult to feel like you get an idea, a a fully formed idea in 30 seconds.
0: Well, and you also went with the idea of a fanfare too, right? Because what, I mean, what is the title? the title's like fanfare for a new world
3: world. yeah yeah and i think that's
0: a great idea for the because you know you're writing it for an intro and fanfare we use fanfares for intros to concerts so why not a podcast about brass band
3: right and i just uh wanted it to start with a bang um really get people's attention i know that that's going to be a real volume check for people if they're listening in their car (laughs) so that's going to be fun (laughs) Uh, but that's the thing to start off with some kind of an impact. Um, and, and it's, you know, I didn't want it to be some kind of lyrical. It, you can have a beautiful introduction. That's great. And i uh, some podcasts that I listen to really do have really nice, beautiful music to start, but that's kind of setting a particular tone. And I didn't think that that was a particular tone that necessarily fit this podcast. So something exciting to grab attention and then move into, you know, talking about whatever topic you're talking about that day.
1: We think it's but great. It yeah. yeah. I guess,
0: you know, we picked it. Right. <laughs> <Appreciate> it. <laughs> so the listeners are gonna have to at least deal with our choices for <laughs> you know, hours long we, we decide. It's right. part of the branding now. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and so that and that, you know, so that was a competition which is like one of the big ways that music gets made nowadays especially here in brass band like right like obviously organizations will commission for test pieces and stuff like that that get used for competition like i think that that's something that's really interesting in the brass band world is that we have these these pieces that are literally used for testing the ensemble for Mm -hmm. competition sakes that end up becoming the literature Mm-hmm. for the for the medium like it becomes the standard repertoire for the medium and i think that's something that's really interesting specific to our to our art form um like they even do that stuff in a lot of like states for wind band and stuff like that but you don't hear about like the kentucky the kentucky test piece i just said that because of your sweatshirt uh you don't you <laughs> you don't see like the kentucky test piece becoming like the next first sweet you know or anything like that so right I just, I'm still sour about Kentucky being relevant in college football this year. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, well, <I'll> that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, to your point, you, to your point, you, you're exactly right. It does That is a very interesting phenomenon where people are writing specifically to challenge an ensemble to reveal, if you will, their shortcomings. But the nice thing is that composers that are doing that are still trying to write good music. Mostly. Um, They're still trying to write something that's going to be in some way enjoyable for the people that have to listen to it or challenging in a way that's intentional in a musical way. Um, You know, there, there would be a lot of ways that you could just write something that's incredibly difficult that nobody ever wants to hear again. Um, but fortunately, the composers are not really doing that. They want something that is going to be meaningful or impactful or at least beautiful to listen to. So it is interesting that that happens. But, uh, it you know, I think it's because you have people that are still trying to make good music through that.
0: I think it also speaks to the willingness of the performers. I feel like brass bands are a medium where we're willing to play some newer things and like, and, and, and work through new repertoire and stuff like that. We're not playing the same five pieces on rotation all. The, I mean, I say that playing we play Endeavor every single concert, but you get what I'm saying. Like, like oh, the rest it, of the program I, is different. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, when I jumped into Brass Band, I mean, every single band, like the hot piece that everybody was playing was like Year of the Dragon. And now that's considered, you know, a, still a good piece, but it's it's not considered like the piece that every, you know, top ensemble is playing for every single concert, every single time. Whereas orchestras, for instance, are playing the same, you know, 10 handful of composers yes. in rotation or, and over and over.
1: I think the uh, piece no, is faster. It's like, you, yeah. I don't
0: They'll know. commission I, new works too. You, They'll commission new works and never
2: play it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that happens. The you know, Year of the Dragon is one of those ones that stands the test of time. Like I think at Nava there'll be at least, at least one band that plays it as a choice piece. Sometimes. Almost two, every year. Every year, yeah. you know. So, you know, there are some there are some staples in the repertoire that, that are Beethoven five that will always get played. And it's really hard for a, for a new work to jump its way in. It kind of, kind of follows the band world where, you know, you know, like Frank DeKelly's the, the flavor of the month, and everything he writes is gold. And then Brian Baumages jumps out, and then you know, Sam Hazo. And you know, they they hit their period of time for three, four, five years. Um, and everything that they do is golden, and then they just kind of drift off. And the next flavor of the month comes in, and and brass band kind of models out a little where you will get a Paul Levitt Cooper tune, and everybody's going to play all the Paul Paul Cooper stuff. And then you get Kevin Hoobin and all of Kevin Hoobin stuff, and Tom Davern comes out, and then you hear a lot of his stuff. And you know, so it's, so it's interesting to see how the two worlds kind of mirror each other, although with different different composers. Um, but, the, but it is, is a very much a, a popularity thing. Like what's, what's hot right now, then what's hot right now, rather than, you know, and it's really tough to get one piece or, or any piece to come out and say, well, no, we're going to year, year the dragon, this thing, and everyone's going to play it no matter what, you know?
3: It is true. Um, coming from like my Salvation Army background is like, they put out a yearly voting poll for like, what is the best piece or the best march or whatever published by the Salvation Army and always the top at least the top five if not the top 10 are all pieces that are you know 50 plus years old um, it's hard for something new to break into that uh but it, it doesn't mean now if you go down below that you know those top few places then yeah you start to see new stuff pop in so I think that might be a little bit of the difference is in the brass band world you're right I mean there are pieces that are never going anywhere um, Year of the Dragon is one of the newer ones, actually, uh, that's never going anywhere. Resurgum by Eric Ball is a piece that's never going anywhere. Um, the You know, that's always going to get played. But the nice thing is they get played alongside uh, composers that are still uh, active, still, uh, you know, young composers that are starting to, to what you were saying, get their... Um, their moment in the spotlight, but those composers don't stop writing and those pieces still keep coming out. And um, so you're right, there's a little bit of this historic mindset, but not as much as the orchestral world for sure. And in a way, not even as quite as much as the wind band, uh, but yeah, there's still some parallels there for sure.
0: Well, I wonder if that that speaks to too, just like orchestra has like the professional and then you also do have community and then you also have the academic. And in wind band, you have a lot of academic and and community groups. And for for brass band overall, it's it's a very much a community thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a little bit of it too, because like I played, you gotta sell tickets, you know. And and I played the like the winds of Nagual and the Asphalt mm-hmm. Cocktail and the Pop Copies, the Scott Ma- like I played that stuff in the wind ensembles. But when I play in community groups. I'm going to play this like most community group players are playing the same 20 pieces,
3: you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is, that's one of the interesting things though. And you know um, when I talked to um, uh, Jim Gurley, when I was talking to him about river city brass band, I was interviewing him a couple of years ago. um, He was talking about for river city. I mean, that's a pro brass band and they have to sell concert tickets because they have to pay the musician. So they have to start going to what's gonna put butts in the seats. Um, and it's a different mentality. You know, when you're not, when you are tied to this kind of subscription concert-based thing where you need people to buy tickets, you have to put the stuff in there that you know is going to sell tickets, which means you're putting the same kind of pieces on in some kind of a rotation because you know people will buy the tickets. So it's not that they're not doing new things. Obviously, they're doing this composer competition where they're going to use the piece. They're going to do new things, but they're also going to hold on to the things that they know are going to, you know, give them their income for the year. So
2: Yeah, it is. If you think it's tough to get a new piece into the brass band world, try getting a new opera done.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Any any opera company that produce that creates a new opera is going to take a bath in the in the books, you know, Man, to produce those. that opera. You know, I I had I performed in the North Carolina operas. Uh, uh, Jennifer Higdon they commissioned, Gen- or were part of a, a consortium to do a Jennifer Higdon new opera. Uh, I think it was called Cold Mountain. And they lost, I'm sure they lost a lot of money on it. You know, just because, you know, you would you rather see La Boheme or something you've never seen before? And that's, you know, that's really tough. But I, I think it's unique about brass bands is that we're, the, the medium is constantly pushing new repertoire, I mean, you know, NABA is having a new, a new test piece premiered this year. You know, the, the British Open's premiering a new test piece. They did one last year that, were the last year they had one with the, the Peter Graham piece. You know, so there's constantly, you know, and, and you know, with, with the Belgian championships and the Dutch championships and, you know, the Europeans, there's always new music that's being pushed out um, to be performed for brass bands. So I, I think we get newer music faster. Um, Whether or not it gets widely accepted, you know, it's at least being introduced. And when it's being introduced, you have a greater chance of it being accepted.
3: Well, and I think part of the reason for that is, I mean, you guys might feel differently, but at least for me, if I'm going to go see uh, a brass band concert, um, I'm going because of who the band is, or maybe who a conductor is, or who the soloist is, or whatever, I'm going to see the band. I'm not going because of what's on the concert program. Um, in fact, I probably won't know what's on the concert program until I get there. Um, so that, that changes it. That frees you up to say, I'm going to go to this band's concert. Whatever they're playing, I'm going to go see them.
2: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. There's a little bit of freedom because of that. You know, when you go to see an orchestra concert, you're definitely going for what they're playing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're established ensembles. You know, you you know everyone knows what the Chicago Symphony is, but when they do Mahler Five, it changes it changes whether your interest level is to well. I go see them because I can go see them all the time. You know, brass bands don't perform nearly as frequently, but I think it's also there's a lot of you know a lot of pressure on on the the brass bands to program things that are going to pull people to come back. You know, through whatever through whatever you know repertoire choices that they make. It's kind of like
0: uh, it's kind of like what Disney and Marvel ended up doing. And like, cause like, I think about growing up, I never knew what a like. I didn't know the difference between MGM and Warner Brothers. Like, like all those like movies, things didn't mean anything to me. Was the movie good? And then when like the Mar- MCU started kind of happening, and then Pixar too, in a, in a lot of ways. Like, I if even even Pixar's worst movie is probably still going to be a good time. Like, I know that in terms of my taste and what I like. If, if, if I'm gonna go see a Marvel movie, I'm probably, even the worst Marvel movie, I have a fun time, like, and I just know that, right? Whereas other movies outside of that, I go, okay, well, was this movie good? Maybe I wait for reviews, all that sort of thing. So I think you're right, Tony. I think there is that sort of like, this band's gonna play, play whatever they're playing, it's gonna be fun. Even if I don't necessarily like the piece, I know they're gonna do it at a high level. And I think we do have that. <clears throat> um, Tony actually gave us a, great, uh, a really good segue. Um, talking about Nava commissioning works and stuff like that. All four of us in this room have either commissioned something, or been part of a group commissioning something, or have been commissioned to do something <laughs> in some way. Or all of worked, the above. Or have commissioned each other to do things, um, or been head of comm- each other's commissioning projects, or whatever. Yeah. So I want to chat. I want to chat just a little bit before we uh, before we wrap up. I want to chat a little bit about that in that process because. Um, like, I know when I started doing my album, Joel was one of the people, I think you have two pieces on the album or maybe just one. Just um, one. Just one. Uh, by the way, I've got a new album next year that I need pieces for. Uh, oh, wait, your sonata is gonna go on it. We already talked about that. Um, okay. But when I needed, you know, I was broke. I didn't have the money to pay Philip Sparks fees to record Harlequin, nor did I want to be, uh, compared to Glenn Williams and David Childs and Stephen Mead also playing Harlequin. So, you know, I look to composers and commission them and I was able to like work out some deals to where it was a little bit cheaper um, for me, but also I got to make new music for the medium and I got to advertise my, my album as being all new music for the euphonium and stuff like that. Um, so Joel, let's chat a little bit about people coming to you to commission. And then when so when I send an email to you and I say, hey, I want you to write a piece for me. And so, you instantly reply no way that's not happening who are you get out of my face i'm never going to do that or at least that's the reply that we feel like
3: we're going to get right i will tell you i've never sent that reply in my life so there you go uh I, I anybody's
2: never, word yeah i never i never expect to get a buzz off we're not going to we're not going to re- re- creating music for you because we don't like making money <laughs> i've always I've always gotten like, yeah, I'd love to talk about this or I'm not available until 2025, you know? know, But I've never gotten a buzz off, we're not interested at all, you know?
3: Yeah, and and I don't think that, uh, chances are, I mean, unless you're writing to John Williams himself, chances are that's not gonna be the response you're gonna get. Um, People are gonna at least wanna have a conversation with you. So I know for me, um, when I get those kinds of requests, Sometimes people come with a lot of information. They'll say, I'm doing this project and I'm looking for this type of piece with this duration. They put that in the initial email, which really helps, especially if it has something with a timeline because then you, you can look at it right away and say, okay, yeah, this looks like something I might be able to take on, or hmm, that's a little, I'm not sure, because the timeline is usually the issue. Um, so, but sometimes it's literally just a, hey, I'd be interested in commissioning a piece. And then you have to say, okay, well, I have a bunch of questions. So um, the the thing for me, the nice thing is usually when people are coming to you, it's because they've heard something else that you do. So they've come to you with some other piece of yours in mind, which means that they're not asking you to write something that's totally off the wall from what you already do. Um, so I'm not usually worried about style, Um I figure if they're asking me to write, it's because they know what I write and uh, I'm gonna write what I'm gonna write. It's gonna fit in their stipulations, obviously, if they need a certain duration or it's for a certain program. But I'm not gonna change my style to sound like somebody else, um, nor are they expecting me to. That's why they're commissioning me. So the questions really become, first question is, when do you need it? Because if you need it next week, Chances are you're not getting it. <laughs> but if you're saying, I need this for six months from now, usually that's going to be fine, especially if it's a smaller piece or things like that. Um, you know, sometimes you do get inundated with a lot of requests and you have to say, I, I can't promise that I'm going to get this to you in six months. So if you definitely need it, then then I'm not so sure about that. So timeline becomes the biggest thing. If you're planning a project, a recording project, or it's for a competition or whatever, plan way in advance, give yourself time, give the composer time. Because then also if they deliver something and you want edits or tweaks to it, they need time to go back and do that. Um, So somebody has actually asked me, you know, preliminarily, if I'd be interested in writing their uh, own choice piece for a contest in 2023, so that is more than a year away. And I said, yeah, if that's you know, we can talk about that. But now's the time to talk about that. If that's what you want, um, if not, we push it to 2024, and that's fine. So you're saying you you got to give lead time. That's the biggest thing. The next thing is. Um, you know, know what you need, your instrumentation. If it's going to be a solo piece, great. Is it an unaccompanied solo piece? Is it a solo piece with piano, with band, with something else? That's fine. Just communicate what it is that you need and have a duration in mind. The reason for the duration is because myself and a lot of other composers, we set our fees based on the minute of music, the completed duration of the piece. So, you know, uh, the cost for a five minute piece is gonna be pretty dramatically different from a nine minute piece. So you need to know what it is, what it is that you're looking for. Um, and then that comes to the biggest part is recognize it's gonna cost money. Um, it is, I mean, unless you have a great relationship with the, the composer and you're asking them as a friend or it's for some specific kind of thing that they might kind of be willing to donate their time to, then chances are you're going to be paying them for the the composition. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just know that ahead of time. If you don't have that kind of budget, you can go into something for like a consortium where you're commissioning with a number of other people for the piece, because then the composer is still getting the money that they uh, should earn for writing the piece, but it's split out among five, 10, 50 people So each person is paying less into what the piece costs to create. So just those are some of the things that you want to come to the table with uh, if you're going to commission a piece. Have an idea of when you need it, what the the instrumentation or need is, the duration you're looking for, and how you're going to handle the budget. So those are the things that you're going to need.
2: I also also think that when you go into it, you can't be stocked are shocked by the sticker price. You know, mm-hmm. when you say, okay, well how much is this going to cost? And you can't, you know, <laughs> get like a price tag for it and then be like, whoa. Well I can't right. F- wait. You know, it's like because there there is no standard rate for this. You know, right. the, the there rate, is a range. There, there is a there is a range it's and pretty wide range though. Yeah, it's a very wide range. Um, you know, but you can't you can't um you can't be offended by a price that a composer gives you for something because they're saying, this is the the work that I'm going to be, I know what I'm going to have to put into this. And this is what I, what I feel I should be compensated for putting this work into it. You know, and we, and we, as the commissioners have the obligation to find the funding to make that happen, you know, not, not try to talk you down from that, you know, but to say, Hey, all right, that's cool. This is going to be a great project. This is what it's going to cost. Let's go figure out how to make it, you know how to get that funded so that we can make this project happen. You know,
1: and you know if you want if you want to commission a piece and um you you have a little bit you know smaller budget, then find new composers. You can usually there there are lots of things that can make a commission project uh, interesting for composers or desirable for composers. Some composers may be willing to have a lower fee for like a fantastic premiere, or know that that it's gonna get a lot of publicity um, or know that it's going to get many performances that are that are gonna be seen by lots of people, stuff like that are are influential. and and as I was saying, first, um if your budget is smaller, you can you can find someone who's just getting started. Um, it might take a few more edits, you know, you might have to give them a little bit more feedback, um, on the process, but there are lots, there are lots of composers out there and lots of, them would, would love to have that project. Um, and so if you, if you want to get, if you want to get your own piece started, I, I would commission, I commissioned my, my, um, fellow students when I was in school sometimes mm-hmm. like back then when they're students you can you could get you could get a, a short piece for like a six pack of beer sometimes yeah <laughs> but, you know because they they have to they are practicing their craft there and and so if they're going to practice it by writing something for you great <laughs> yeah,
3: absolutely and and you know I'm still in the from the composer side, I'm still in the earlier side of things and I'm still in the lesser known side of things. So, you know, commissioning something from me is going to cost way less than commissioning something from Peter Graham. So that's what I hold on to. Sometimes it, uh, I know that people are going to come to me because they want something, you know, and hopefully it's because they like my music specifically, but they're also going to come to me because I'm a little bit cheaper than some of these other big names that are out there. And that's fine with me because that's helping me get more music out there. Um, it's helping me you know, pay my bills. It's all, I'm not gonna ask what the reason is that they decided to ask me rather than Philip Spark. I don't care. They asked me.
2: <laughs> I also think that there's, there's something that brass band people probably as a collective um, community trying to create more music is that they think, I think that we need to reach out to people who aren't just brass band composers. You know, there's there's most brass band composers, Martin Ellerby, Philip Spark, Peter Graham, when they write a piece for brass band, they publish it for wind band as well. So I think what we need to do is we need to start reaching out to wind band composers and reversing that process, you know, getting them to write, you know, things that they take things that they did for wind ensemble and transfer it to a brass band scoring, you know, mm-hmm. or um have them write something for brass band and also make it a wind band score so that they can you know have a bigger market to sell it at but we have to reach out to new to new to new new composers just to Mm -hmm. to bring them into writing for the for this medium however we do have to expect there to be a little bit more give and play on the on the you know Mm -hmm. okay well these are some things that that are unique to brass band scoring that i think you're going to need to you know, so there's going to be a little bit of, of a learning curve when they first start writing for brass band if they're not really intimately knowledgeable about the 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 what the ensemble can actually do and the and the uniquenesses of how an E flat soprano lays into things, what you can do with the tuba section when you have four tuba players, you know, to you know the things that you can do. You don't have to have a unison tuba line, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know like like a lot of times in wind scoring. Well, and that was one of
3: the cool things for my solo CD project that I did when I was finishing my doctorate. um, I actually commissioned a friend of mine from my undergrad uh, to um, write a piece for that album. Uh, And he, uh, at the time, was in his doctorate working um, in composition. Uh, So I knew he could write, and I had played several of his pieces before and all that kind of stuff. But that was the first piece that he wrote for Brass Band. Um, And it was it's one of the most unique pieces on the recording just because he wasn't coming in with some preconceived ideas of what the band, you know, what the style was going to be. And he wrote something really new and really fresh and exciting. um, And that's a piece aggregate um, by Charlie Peck. So if you want to check that out, that's what happens sometimes when you bring somebody in who doesn't already have this idea of what the brass band is quote supposed to be. We did have to talk about some scoring and stuff, but, yeah, uh, you know, he wrote a really great piece of music. So, yeah, I think that's a good thing. And just in the interest of
0: this podcast specifically, it also, uh, if you're looking outside of some of the more conventional means of brass band, it also opens it up to maybe looking into North American composers um, uh, a little bit more than than those from the UK. Well, hey, Joel, we got to wrap soon. We've been talking for a while. No, we appreciate that's all right. it. Yeah. Um, um, first off, First off, uh, what I want to do is hit up our question of the week, whatever we're calling this thing. Um, if you haven't already, if you are on YouTube or any of our socials or anything like that, please feel free to submit so I can stop having to make them up. But what I what I've come up with for today, um, and we're yeah. gonna start. We're gonna start with. Uh, we'll start with Amy since she she went and said that. Oh is, great! All right. So if you have, does anybody or. Well, you're I'm gonna make you make up one up. What is a musical New Year's resolution that you might have?
1: A musical New Year's resolution. Um well, I mean, I didn't set any specific resolutions this year. Um, I I would really like this to be the year that I get. Uh, Amy's Brass Band out in Spanish so that's not specifically like musical but it's it's along those lines Um, I have it translated and I think I just I need to I need to run it through a few other um, a few other people that I trust to to check the translation to make sure that it's appropriate for there there are lots of different kinds of dialects in Spanish and I want to make sure that that it's going to make make sense to the most uh, people and everything is is ready to go, um, and then we'll have to reset all of the all of the text. And um, I'm making a connection with someone um, who does a lot of work in South America, and I think I'm going to make some connections so that we can get some books into some kids' hands directly. Um, so, so it's an exciting project. It's going to be a huge project. I, I have kind of resisted doing it, uh, because it's so intimidating. Um, but I think this is the year that that's going to happen next. That sounds <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah. Tony, you have anything?
2: Yeah. Well, I have, I have several musical goals, but I think the one that I'm, I'm going to share here is that, um, it's kind of a crapshoot, but I, I'm really wanting to, to get the Triangle Brass Band to elevate from third section to second section this year. Um, we, we're entering the the third section and hoping to to place or do very well this year. And if, if we do really well and we feel like, you know, we're on that level, then we're, we're really hoping to elevate to the next level and continue to push the band to get you know, to get, I feel like we have players that can play in the second section, but we have, you know, we've been trying to gel and sound like a, like a, a band that can elevate. So that's, that's going to be something we're, I'm really going to be working on this year. That's something super exciting.
0: Joel, you got anything?
3: Yeah, I also have a bunch of things that are happening this year. Um, but I think the thing that I'm setting for myself, not just letting happen, is uh, I'm really trying to get out there and do more uh, solo engagements again. Uh, you know, since, well, except for now we have Omicron or whatever, <laughs> but like, but since COVID, I haven't been able to do that many um, solo performances. Um, and so trying to get some recitals or guest soloist appearances and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so if anybody's looking for somebody, you know, you can you can reach you, you can reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to travel. Uh, I'm vaccinated and ready to go. So
2: <laughs> I, I thought your question was going to be about um, was going to be about what your favorite commissioning project was <laughs> and you went a very different way.
1: I was thinking. That's, that's oh, the was of this uh, of this show. Aaron going in complete opposite direction we were expecting. It's the first episode
2: of a new year. That's why I thought of it. <laughs> it's was, it was a good one. It's good. One. Although uh, Joe, Joe, we uh we put in a, at the Triangle Brass Band, we put in a um a grant application for to bring to bring in a bunch of guest artists. If we get that grant, you can count on um getting a call great. from us. I'll and drive we, up the road. Right up the road. So yeah. Let's hope that that grant comes through. Okay.
0: Awesome, and really quick before we sign out, Amy, you had a shout out you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna do a shout out to our second place uh, uh, submission for our, our composition competition because we thought it was so cool. Um, and so I think we are gonna do, can we, Aaron, you know this better than me, can we do something as an outro? Yeah, if not on this one... Well, maybe, yeah, we can do it on this one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. I just cool. I so, it. Yeah, so we wanted to do a shout-out to our second place uh, for the competition, and that was uh, the West Philadelphia Orchestra. So if you haven't heard the West Philadelphia Orchestra, um, you are missing out because they are fantastic. They are so much fun to listen to, um, and they... Um, they have a ton of stuff out there that you should go and check out. Um, and they have, um, they're a um, Bavarian brass band. So they're going to, they're going to do things a little bit differently than the, the British brass band stuff that, that you may be used to. Um, but I don't even know how to describe their music. Um, you just, you're just going to have to listen to it <laughs> yeah, and you'll listen to it in a second in our, in our outro, but check them out. They're on, uh, their website is westphiladelphiaorchestra.com. They're on all of the expected socials. They're very easy to find. So go check them out.
0: Yeah. We'll put their links and stuff, just like we're going to put all the Joel stuff, um, in the description as well. Well, Hey, thanks everyone. It's nice seeing everybody again, Joel included, I yeah. guess. Yeah, thanks thank for you so much me. for coming on. We appreciate yeah. it so much, and uh, hope everybody has a good year. Hope everybody, all those, all of our resolutions that you all just mentioned, hope they happen for